0: Hello, everybody, and welcome in to episode three of No Middle Madness, a podcast about Texas Tech basketball. Today, we're coming to you in midweek form because it's a big week for the Texas Tech basketball program. First, they take on Texas before taking on Baylor. They got some big games in front of them, but first we're going to touch on the Iowa State game. I'm your host Ryan Mainville. Today I'm joined by Emery Lida As always, Emery, how are you today?
1: Doing well, Ryan. I'm uh, just kind of focusing on making sense of what's going on, the, on in the NBA right now. I'm really excited to talk some tech hoops because this is going to be one of, if not the most eventful weeks of the season just on the court because you've faced in two top five teams. And I've really put a lot into looking at this Texas game because, quite honestly, Texas is one of the most
0: intriguing teams in the country right now. So, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, so first, let's just take a step back and talk about the most recent game that Tech played in. They traveled to Ames and they played Iowa State. And for the second straight year in a row, they've absolutely dominated. So Tech won 94 to 64. And this may be the best offensive game I've seen from Tech all season. They had a 134.3 adjusted offensive efficiency. That was their best all season. Their previous best was when they had 126.4 in the Northwestern State game, where they actually scored more points. And then it was a really efficient game from them shooting, where they shot 65.2% in effective field goal percentage. That was the second best of the season. They also shot 7 of 18 from deep, which is the best three-point percentage they've shot since the Grambling State game. It really felt like a big momentum win, felt like they they won that they needed to win. How big do you think this game was before they head into a pretty challenging week?
1: I think it was a pretty important game because, as I mentioned on the preview last week, I was really looking at Iowa State as a team that can throw a challenge on any given night. I mean, they have quite a bit of talent on that roster and they had played Baylor and Texas both reasonably close and so to be able to really control that game from the start and put together an offensive showing where you had upwards of one point or 131 adjusted offensive efficiency rating and put together a game where you finally started to get some of that outside shot rhythm going was something that was to me really impressive and even though it's against Iowa State a team that's winless in conference that probably isn't going to get more than two to three wins this year in conference. It's still one that we can look back on and say, like those types of blowouts just don't happen frequently in the Big 12. I mean, now we're looking at two of the three biggest losses in and um, Coliseum history coming at the hands of a Chris Beard tech team. And I think more than anything, it's just – going off of the confidence that you gain from the Iowa State game is something that you can look forward to going forward and especially when you have big games from guys like Kevin McCuller who just came back from injury had his first career double-double someone like Kyler Edwards who had 19 points and shot the three-pointer while hitting three of five and then obviously Mac McClellan had a really efficient game with 18 points in 8 of 10 field goals, did have the three turnovers. But just in general, how do you think having those guys all perform is going to kind of transcend into this week? Do you think it's something where we can look at as something that can happen game after game? Or do you think it's more of just Iowa State being a weak opponent?
0: Yeah, well, I'm interested because Kevin McClure played so well. And there was a point in the game where I'm pretty sure everyone in Lubbock had a bit of a heart attack where he came down off of a layup and it was clear that he was hurting. He immediately went and looked at Mike Neal, who's the athletic trainer with the team. And you could tell he was saying something to the bench like, oh, like, I just felt something. So they pulled him from the game. I was watching on TV, obviously, because I wasn't in Ames. And you could see him go like to the tunnel, kind of where the locker room area was. And he was just doing some jumps, trying to get some weight on that ankle. But I mean, he came back into the game, which I honestly didn't expect because they were up big at that point. But he came back into the game and he finished a double-double. And it was just a really good game for him. He also had two steals, five of eight shooting from the field. I mean, this is just the kind of guy that he is. He's going to go out and play every single night and he's going to play hard. But yeah, something that really stood out to me was how well Mac McClung and Kyler Edwards played together. At some points this season, it just felt like when one of them has a good night, the other one just kind of disappears. And they strung together two good lines in the K-State game. But this game, it just it felt good to see them hitting their stride on the, on the court uh, in that Iowa State game. Kyler Edwards was getting some really good off-ball looks, especially in the corner. I know some of that was Iowa State was just playing some really, really bad defense at points in this game. But I mean, he made those shots, and that's what he needs to do. And then Mac McClung obviously creating for himself. I definitely think that. They've found something that they can carry over into other games and more difficult games. And I think that's just kind of like spreading out the offense a little bit and spreading out where the ball is. I feel like you can really use Kyler Edwards a little bit more off ball. I know my good friend RC Maxfield was talking about how he wants to see both of them off ball. I don't know if I would take McClung off the ball as much just because when that ball is in his hands, it's the biggest weapon he has. But in this game, Kyler Edwards had a 20.5 usage percentage. If you don't know what usage percentage is, it's essentially like how much a play ends with a player's actions. And so this is good for Kyler Edwards because it means that he's not having to do too much, but he's also still contributing. So I think that they've really found a formula where you can incorporate both Kyler Edwards and Mac McClung into focal roles in the offense and still have it work. What do you think, Emery?
1: So I'll be the first to admit. I've been in my opinion, quite vocal on thinking that Kyler and Mack are not necessarily the best basketball fit together. It has nothing to do with their, like, individual chemistry or whatnot. Um, I should clarify it. Not, it's not like, oh, Mac is selfish or, oh, Kyler doesn't want Mac to do well. It's just I think I've always thought that both of them are guys that are most efficient or most impactful with the ball in their hands. Kyler is a little bit less obvious because he shoots better off ball and he's a pretty good off-ball player. He can get open looks in the corner and knock them down pretty efficiently, um, but I think early in the season, specifically the game that stood out to me was the Kansas game because we ran a lot of both Kyler and Mac kind of trading on-ball possessions, and it just wasn't really a good fit, and I think having those guys kind of work more so within the flow of the offense, So Kyler kind of maybe running a lot more of a secondary ball handler role and just kind of keeping that consistent. And also, I mean, I I looked at RC's point about kind of pu- putting both of them off ball. And I think the important thing there is that Terrence Shannon showcased a lot of playmaking ability that we really hadn't seen much of. And yeah, some of that was, or a lot of the like pure assist numbers were in the open court. But I think in general, having Shannon is a little bit more of a, um, aggressive ball handler that can kind of look for, look to facilitate is something that kind of helps out both Kyler and Mac. And I think I'm with you on having Mac kind of run more of the point or the pure ball handler, primary ball handler, whatever you want to call it, position. But I think in general, I mean, both of them can coexist off ball. We've seen it a lot with Mac, even if the shots aren't necessarily falling off ball. He's done better than I anticipated in terms of working it, like being able to get those good opportunities off the ball. So I definitely think there's some carryover there in terms of just being able for, to have both of them getting good looks off ball. And I'd anticipate that maybe the formula is just to run specifically more of Kyle or running more consistent off ball action for him, not necessarily making him bring the ball up the court, 15 to 20% of the possessions, just kind of keeping it consistent and letting him get points in the flow of the offense, because he is a good off ball shooter. He's shot a decent percentage throughout his career on uncontested off ball looks which is something that while it sounds easy in theory it's not something that Tech necessarily has a lot of so I'm optimistic that they can get things sorted out it's never going to be a perfect fit because when you have two guys that really thrive with the ball in their hands it's always going to be kind of a little bit of a mesh point to make sure that you're getting the right maximizing the potential of everyone but I was really intrigued by this game. I just think in general it showed that you can run both of those guys and not have to really, like, force up a lot of bad looks with trying to alternate them and running primary ball handler possessions.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point. And I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, and this is just, like, an outrageous comp. But, like, imagine if you had, like, LeBron James and Luka Doncic on the same team. Like, they're both great players, but it doesn't necessarily maximize both of their talents. Like, they're both players who really need the ball in their hands to score, who create well for their teammates. And so, when you put them on the same team, things might not wet mesh as well as they do on paper. And that's kind of the same thing that I'm seeing here. Like, Kyler Edwards and Mac McClung are both great players, they both have a ton of skills and a ton of tools that will help this team win games. But at times, it looks like they've both kind of struggled playing together because they both need the ball. But I also liked how I heard you kind of cringe when you almost said point guard. That's how I know that you've been covering this team for a long time, because there are no positions on this team, really, except for maybe center. And even then, whatever at times. But I mean, yeah, this team is meant to play positionless. And like you said, like Terrence Shannon Jr., I mean, six assists, a career high. He still had three turnovers, but... Man, it's just another part of his game that looks strides better than it did last year, and it's really becoming a tool for him like tech wants to play where all of these guys can create for each other that's like the main goal of the motion offense because if you're all just running and you're all basing your game on where the ball is then it if you have five guys on the floor who could create shots for each other, like that's a huge asset and Coach Beer was talking about that today with how much better he feels like Marcus Santos Silva's passing has gotten throughout the year. So I'm I'm really optimistic about Shannon's playmaking. I guess Emery, if you just want to touch on that point real quick, like, how do you think that the playmaking of Terrence Shannon Jr. evolving, like what kind of impact do you think that has for this team? Also well, one thing I've noticed in the last couple of games is
1: his turnovers are primarily coming in the open court. Now I didn't necessarily get a chance to chart that on my film study this past game. It wasn't necessarily something I was looking for. But all three of his turnovers in the Kansas State game were a result of him trying to force kind of something that wasn't quite there in transition. But I have noticed in the half court, he's running more as a primary, like as a driver, basically. Not so much as a primary ball handler, but just being able to handle the ball and initiate offense for his teammates. And I've always thought his assist numbers are just a little bit deceptive. Because um, he's oftentimes been kind of a couple of passes away from creating an open look, but just having that that ability to look up. I know last year there was kind of a little bit of a complaint about him about maybe having too much tunnel vision. You'd go for a straight line drive, and Shannon just wouldn't look up, and he'd either get a charge or draw contact, but he wouldn't find open teammates. And I think as a whole, Shannon's an excellent player. His playmaking is never, at least in this season, is never going to get to the point where you'd say, yeah, I'm comfortable running him as a lead ball handler for 40 possessions a game. But it is something where if you can just gradually start to improve that playmaking like he has, it opens up the floor for other people because he's such a good driver. He has so much initial burst and defenses have to respect his shot as well. So you combine those things and it's just, it allows him to not only find cutters, but also find open shooters. And especially with people like Kyler that can play well both on and off the ball and create their own shot, but also get open, it really just helps out this team. And I'm excited to see how it impacts us going forward.
0: Yeah, you make a good point about the tunnel vision. I think like last year when I was watching him a lot, like it felt like at times whenever he got the ball, he was getting to the basket no matter what. And so sometimes he would put the ball down get a couple of dribbles and realize that he was not going to get a shot. And he would just still kind of throw it up. Because, I mean, like he had no other option. The, the defense had already collapsed around him. Or he would take like a couple of dribbles and just like bulldoze a guy because he's just so strong. But, I mean, this year he's he's learned to kind of calm down when the ball's in his hands. I've noticed, I think it was a designed play. Oh, goodness, I can't remember what game it was. But he came off a screen, took a dribble, and then got a really nice bounce pass down into the paint. I think it was to Marcus Santos Silva. And just that kind of thing in his game that continues to evolve is going to be really, really big for him. So I'm with you in that. I'm excited to see it play out. And in one game, it's going to have to play out is against UT. So the Red Raiders, they'll head down to Austin on Wednesday, I believe, and face the Longhorns. Emery, I'm in a lot of these... Texas Tech fan groups on Facebook just because I like seeing what people are saying about the team and somebody like I think it was an innocent comment but somebody was like since when was Texas number four and I think that's kind of like a good indication of how this team has come onto the scene because they have just played out of their minds this season and I think that they've been a really big surprise for me Um, even though I expected them to be good They've been surprisingly good, and I mean, right now, I have Gonzaga in a tier of its own, and at the top of college basketball, and then Baylor is in, is in a tier right below them, also in their own, and then like, tier three, like, you can throw Texas in there easily, and I can understand your point for it. They are 10-1 and one right now. Their only loss was to Villanova. It was a very close game, I think like a one-possession game. And their identity this season is to shoot a lot of threes. They're averaging eight made a game. That's third in the Big 12. Tech is last. I can't remember exactly what their figure is. They defend the perimeter. They're holding their opponents to 27.1% shooting. That's the best in the Big 12. Then just their defense as a whole. They're long. They're scrappy. They have a adjusted defensive efici- efficiency of 87.8. That's the fourth best in Kim Palm. They're actually outperforming tech right now, which sounds a little crazy, but it's true. Emory, what have you seen from this impressive Longhorn team?
1: Yeah, I think impressive is certainly, maybe even putting it mildly, because I mean, we all saw the projections of Texas preseason. They returned basically literally all of their minutes in scoring production. And you saw them, I mean, there was always hesitancy like, oh, is Texas really going to be competing for the Big 12? And I'll be honest, I still don't think that they're on Baylor's levels in terms of not only efficiency, but also just kind of danger on a night-to-night basis in terms of being able to make shots. But I do think that as a team, I mean, they're certainly a top-10 team in the country. And one thing I'll say about their resume is the run through Maui or the Maui Invitational that really wasn't in Maui, but whatever – And even the loss to Villanova, they controlled, they looked like a top 10 team early in the season. And then the game against Kansas, that was, in my opinion, one of the most impressive wins we've seen in the country, right up there with Gonzaga against Iowa and a couple other games. And I think the thing about Texas to remember is they have talent really at both the guards and the bigs. And usually within college basketball, If you have top-level guards, you're going to be a good team. And if you have top-level bigs, you're going to be elite. If you have both of those, you're going to be a top-10 team, basically. And I look at a guy like Kai Jones on the inside and then a guy like Courtney Ramey on the outside, and I think both of those guys maybe got a little bit underappreciated in the preseason. I mean, it's not necessarily like this team is unbeatable by any means, but there's really strong defensively. And like you said their adjusted defensive rating is below tech or is better than tech in terms of like like ranking wise they have a lower points per possession total and just in general you the know, ability to stop the three is something that is really impressive and even more impressive for me is that they're not even allowing teams to take a lot of threes they have only given up the 25th most or the 25th fewest three-point attempts in the nation through their 11 games so far and their assist rate or the defensive assist rate that they have is the third lowest, which means that teams are having to play a lot of isolation ball. And that's something that we've seen. I noted a couple of times in terms of one of the benefits of Tech's defense is it forces players a lot of times to try and force plays. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this team is able to not only defend the perimeter with their three-point shooting, but also just how how we're able to handle the three-headed monster at the guard position because they have Andrew Jones, who's one of the best stories in college basketball, coming back from leukemia. And for one thing, he killed Tech last year in both games. And for another thing, he just hit a game winner against West Virginia on Saturday. And then you also have Courtney Ramey and Matt Coleman, two guys that are really good at both driving to the basket and also hitting a good jump shot. So what have you seen out of that backcourt so far this year?
0: Yeah, I think an aspect that gets really overlooked about them, just first and foremost on the surface, is their experience. I mean, I don't want to sound like Chris Beard, but experience is one of the greatest assets in college basketball. So you've got all upperclassmen. I believe Coleman's a senior, Ramey's a junior, and then Jones is a redshirt junior after he'd had to take that medical redshirt. But, I mean, these guys have played together a long time. They know each other well. They know the, the team and the system. I just think it's a really good fit. And I think that their veteran mindset is definitely a key part of their success. But, I mean, just to dig a little bit deeper into these guys, I mean, you talked about Jones, obviously an incredible story. We're all pulling for him, and we all were pulling for, for him the past few years. But, I mean, in terms of his game, he shoots a lot of threes, six a game. But right now he's only average or shooting 31.7% from deep. He's not really the facilitator that Ramey or or Coleman are in my eyes. He's more of an off-ball player. But, I mean, he feels like the guy. And maybe that's just because I'm used to him lighting up tech. But he just feels like the guy. Like, when you need a bucket, you put the ball in his hands, and he's going to go do it. He He's, like, obviously their, their finisher. He hit that game winner against West Virginia. He's the second highest usage percentage on the team. I mean, you, you've got to keep him close. Then you've got Ramey, who's, again, just a really good shooter. He's making 42.6% of his 4.3 threes per game this season. That's incredible. He's a little bit more of a secondary playmaker than I think Jones is. He's averaging about 3.5 assists per game. And then you've got Coleman, who, man, he might be the best player on this team. We're going to talk about Kai Jones in a minute, who statistically doesn't look like the best player on this team, but has just been incredible. But anyways, Coleman has the second highest offensive rating on the team. He leads the team in assists, steals, and field goals made. He's shooting 33% from deep, but I mean, I think that's a little bit of an outlier. Last season, he shot 39.5%. I mean, you cannot lose him. He feels like a guy who can break out any night.
1: Yeah, I think Coleman's experience is something that really gets kind of overlooked within this team, and not only just his experience, but also the fact that he's really kind of in my opinion, the most versatile guard on the roster. He can be a good primary ball handler, great facilitator, but he's also, I mean, he's really the only guard that they have that's really good at converting at the rim. He's shooting about 65% on the year on close twos He's at only about three attempts per game, but still the the other guards have struggled in that regard. Jones is only shooting about 51% from there, and Ramey's closer to 55%. And I think in general, Coleman is kind of, Like Kai Jones is probably the best like outright player on the team in that he's certainly got the advanced numbers to back that up, the highest offensive rating, the best BPM. And the film definitely kind of lends that to be true. But I would also say that Coleman's just sheer impact, if you lose him, you're really looking at a team that maybe doesn't have a primary ball handler that they can count on and doesn't have someone that can bring that kind of I guess, intangible intensity to not only their offense, but their defense. I mean, their defense isn't one that prides itself on getting turnovers necessarily like Tech does, but they do have, they play fundamentally sound defense and they're great at guarding the perimeter. But I think one of the things that people really look at with this Texas team is Greg Brown, the freshman five-star prospect. He's had some struggles this year, but I still think he's a very talented player. So. He's had games where he's kind of struggled with consistency. Um, For one, he had a 24-point game against Oklahoma State where he's really efficient offensively. Then you also have games like Indiana or even a game like Villanova where he just struggled to kind of get anything going. And probably the most staggering stat with Brown is that he has one assist on the entire season. And he has something like, I think, it's 27, 28 turnovers at this point. And so... What do you think Tech is going to do to not only contain Greg Brown, but maybe try and turn some of his eagerness against them?
0: Yeah, I had that assist to turnover stat written down too, because when I saw it, I thought that it was incorrect because it looked so outrageous to me. But I mean, coming out of high school, Greg Brown was a guy I was really high on. I I really liked what I saw from him. Gauging athletes like this in high school is difficult because often they'll stick out like sore thumbs and they'll just look so supremely talented compared to the competition. And it's usually because they are. But I mean, he is a freak athlete, but I I just don't know where he fits. It feels like, like watching Texas play this season, it feels like he's playing out of position, but I don't even know where I would put him necessarily. So Texas is playing a lot of five out which usually means that he'll get the ball in his hands on the perimeter and he'll try and do something with it, and it just has not ended well. Like you said, it's one assist to 26 turnovers, which is just crazy. Andy has the highest usage percentage on the team, and I think that's because he gets the ball in his hands and he just goes to score which necessarily isn't the wrong mindset. Like he's a great scorer and I, and I can see it. I can see where he can break through and I can see how he can become just like a next level talent, but right now it it just feels like he's struggling with that shot and taking care of the ball. His his shot did look promising in high school. Like I was a little bit like okay, they're going to come together at some point. Um but he's just struggled this season really getting that shot going down which is really painful to that offense if they're going to play five out. He's shooting 28.6% uh on threes. He's only made 14 and I mean the free throws aren't good either. The shot just probably isn't as promising as Texas would like, and I think that's a big reason why he's struggling right now.
1: Yeah, you mentioned him kind of not fitting into a single kind of position or role. And I think that's something I had mentioned uh, in the the last couple of days kind of privately. Just looking at him, I see him a lot as a tweener type of guy. Um, And it's not not necessarily a direct comparison because this guy was a lot better as a facilitator. But Dylan Ostakowski, when he played at Texas, was someone that I always looked at when we were playing against him as someone – That Tech could really sort of take advantage of because he kind of was a bit of an awkward fit in their offense. In the same way, and again, completely different styles of players, but someone like Chris Clark for Tech last year, you could see it at times struggled to mesh with kind of the talent that they had, that Tech had around him and the type of motion offense that Beard wanted to play. Um, And I think in general, a guy like um, Greg Brown is someone that uh, Tech has really kind of been able to contained throughout the years under Chris Beard. Someone that isn't necessarily the most efficient three-point shooter and kind of has a little bit of tunnel vision is something that you can see with the no middle defense and kind of the different aggressive approaches that Mark Adams can throw at guys. That's something, especially with the lack of playmaking, it really can turn Brown against Texas in a way, in my opinion. I think it's a lot similar to Terrence Shannon last year where you have a guy that is really talented. I mean, I thought he was one of the best players in this year's class heading into the year. I still think he's got the talent to make it to the next level. I think the shot I'm pretty high on, I think it's maybe a little bit better than the percentages would indicate so far this year. And I would say his outright athleticism and scoring ability is not easily replaceable. But I do think that Tech can match him and maybe even, again, turn him into a little bit of a disadvantage there. But the guys that I'm looking at are someone like Kai Jones or Jericho Sims. And Kai Jones, he comes off the bench for them most of the time. But in my eyes, he's been their best player this year. A couple of stats that stand out. He's got a 131.2 offensive rating, by far the highest on their team. That's really efficient. And... To be honest, his true shooting percentage is really good. It's at 69.8. But defensively, 2.5 block rate, 2.4 steal rate. Both of those are solid numbers, especially for someone that has that offensive efficiency. I think it's someone that Tech is really going to have to anchor down to be able to stop defensively. So you've mentioned earlier about how you kind of maybe thought the same way about Kai but what do you think tech can do specifically to slow him down especially maybe with a little bit of a size disadvantage on the inside
0: yeah i mean this guy is incredible and any time that i've turned on a texas game i i have just been amazed at how well he's been playing he is a freak athlete he does it all on both ends of the floor and i i really see like why, quote, draft Twitter is like freaking out about him because he has so many tools. And I, I legitimately think that he and Jalen Wilson will be a two-man race for Big 12 Most Improved Player this season. And maybe Jones will have to boost his stats a little bit right now. I know he's only averaging nine points per game, but that that is just not at all an indication of how good he is or... Where he's at in terms of talent, like you mentioned, he does have the highest offensive rating on the team. He also has the highest effective field goal percentage on the team, like by double digits. And he's averaging 1.4 stocks. If if you don't know what stocks are, it's steals plus blocks per game. So he's affecting uh, opposing teams defensively, which is something that Texas has really struggled with this season. But, I mean, he's doing a lot of it. And then his shot also looks promising. Um, He's made 7 of 16 threes. So, I mean, he's a challenging player. It's somebody that you have to game plan for. And you mentioned the the size down low and kind of the talent down low. And I have a hot take. Do you want to know what my hot take is? Go for it. I think this is a Tyreek Smith coming out game. I think that Tyreek Smith is going to really showcase his defensive ability in this game i think that he is going to you know whatever whatever jones's stat line says at the end of the day i I would encourage everyone to go back and watch the film and watch tyreek smith guard kai jones because i think that smith is such a freak athlete like way more than i expected Way more than probably anyone expected, except for maybe people that were working out with him every day of the summer. I mean, he has so much more lateral speed than I expected. He is defending the pick and roll better and better by game. He's blocking shots at the rim. I'm really, really excited to watch Tyreek Smith play some defense in this game. And like you mentioned, Kai Jones is coming off the bench. So there's a good chance that he and Tyreek Smith will be on the floor at kind of the same times so, and that allows Chris Beard to still start Marcus Santos Silva and try and go at Jericho Sims a little bit if he so chooses but I don't know am I, am I crazy for thinking that this is a really good or not a really good I should say but a good chance for Tyreek Smith to make an impact on the defensive end
1: no and I'll tell you something I think Tyreek Smith's lateral ability is maybe his best attribute obviously it's not Maybe not his like outright best skill in terms of you would say shot blocking or vertical leap, but in terms of importance to this team, his ability to stay kind of in front of guards on the pick and roll, and his ability to kind of keep himself um, disciplined in terms of not overcommitting or um, kind of over overstepping within on ball defense is something that I did not anticipate. I think he's a really high feel type of guy, as in he. Really, he makes some mistakes. I think the Oklahoma game is probably the most glaring example of he had basically two mistakes and two possessions and immediately got pulled. But I think this is a game, especially considering you have Kai Jones coming off the bench. You have someone like Jericho Sims, who might be a more natural matchup for Santos Silva. And I think all of the makings are in this for... To Tyreek Smith to get quite a few minutes and not only get minutes, but hopefully be able to produce, especially defensively. I think the thing with Tyreek is just being able to stay disciplined, to stay away from foul trouble, because the thing is, when he's in the game, he has a 13.1 block percentage, which is ridiculous. And not only that, but like I said, his perimeter defense has gotten better, I think, over the course of the year. And I think of all the guys that Tech has, he's probably the best made to defend Kai Jones and maybe one of the best in the conference the conference because Kai's kind of, I guess, instinctive ability and also his athleticism is that, that you have to have someone that has the burst, that has that athleticism and that also has the feel to be able to match what Jones can do offensively. I mean, I'm excited to see what Tyreek can do in this game as well. I'd say my matchup that I'm looking for with that is kind of the opposite. I want to see how Santos Silva can hold up, hold up against Jericho Sims because Sims got in foul trouble against West Virginia, and that's not necessarily something that is uncommon for him. And not to say that that's by any means a game changer, but just having that ability to get the opposing big, play them off the court, and maybe get that Tyreek versus Kai matchup that we're really looking forward to is something that Tech should be looking for, kind of from the get-go in this game and I'm I think have being able to match their bigs maybe not in terms of the natural like oh are we going to out rebound them or something but just being able to kind of match their personnel and kind of force them to make adjustments force them to maybe run more small ball or maybe it's having to run more of both Kai and Jericho and exploiting a mismatch in that sense just being able to sort of change up their lineups and change up how they play tech is going to be something that I'm looking forward to. I think in general, if this game is something where I've kind of gone back and forth with, I want to hear what you think, not only what you think the final score is going to be, but who do you see impacting this game the most?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm going to go with Matt Coleman impacting this game the most. I think that he's leadership and veteran mindset will really be an asset for Texas in this game. I think that he will stay calm and he will just really take care of the ball and make shots. I probably should have looked at this before we started recording, but I don't know if Texas is allowing fans this season. Do you know? I think they are.
1: I've heard people that are going to the Irwin Center. Don't quote me on that, but I think if I remember correctly they are allowing a limited capacity.
0: Okay, so they'll they'll have some home court advantage but still I think that Coleman's leadership and voice will play a big role in this game. I haven't picked against tech in the history of this podcast which is now 3 episodes long, but for the first time I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Texas winning this game 72 to 64. I'm not really confident about that spread. It feels like a little large. Also, the point total feels a little large, but it's similar to Torvik's. I'm just adding a little bit more points. What Tech can do best to keep themselves in this game is not make it a shootout per se. They have to get Texas in like a slump shooting. They cannot give up shots on the perimeter if they do that. I think it could end badly. I'm going to go with Terrence Shannon as a leading scorer for Tech. I just think he matches up well against those three guards. Unless they throw Brown on him, then things might get a little interesting. And then, like I said, I'm going to go with Coleman for Texas as their leading scorer.
1: Yeah. I had this game as a Texas win all the way up until Saturday night. I even tweeted something where I said the final score would be 66-64 UT. That was kind of a joke, but I think in general, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I'm going to stick with the Homer side of me. I'm going to take Tech. I think it's going to be closer to 64-62 type of game. I think if there's one thing we've known from Chris Beard over the years, it's that when he gets in these kind of rock fights, he usually comes out on top. And this team is definitely built to win a rock fight. I think the one good thing I look at with a guy like Terrence Shannon is that tech or texas has struggled at times to defend wings they've been really kind of up and down they allowed Jalen wilson if i remember correctly to have a pretty big game for kansas and they allowed jeremiah robinson earl to have i believe it was 19 points for villanova and then on the other side they allowed my man Hyung jung lee to only have six points for the davidson wildcats and again the davidson played them close so it's not like their wing is their wing defense has been good or bad but it is the potential to have a mismatch um, either through size or through speed I think Terrence Shannon leads the team in scoring but I think kind of a little bit of a hot take that I have I think this is going to be the first double digit game in the career of Tyreek Smith I think he's going to score at least 10 points in this one and I think that is my hot take for the end of this podcast I suspect the tech We'll have them um, rock fight on their hands either way.
0: I like that hot take. If, if Tech can have 10 points or more from Tyreek Smith, I think they'll play it really well. We'll see what happens when Tech travels to Austin to face the Longhorns. After that, uh, the Bears, the Baylor Bears, will be coming into Lubbock on Saturday. We'll be back to preview that game and recap the Longhorn game and more the next time we see you on No Middle Madness. Thanks for listening and have a good week.